Y'all ready? Okay, today's lesson is how to live out the wind and the storms. So, living out the storm of the book of Revelation. Let's picture Revelation in your Bible as just being one big, gigantic storm. And let's do a little storm theology today and see how it works. So, number one is you have to prepare for a storm. I'm seeing people are not prepared for the storm. They're not ready for it. So the book of Revelation is a book of spiritual warfare. I want you to think of it in those terms, that it's a book of spiritual warfare. It is the ultimate spiritual warfare. It is when good and evil get into a massive fight. It's when everything is on both sides throwing all they have at the fight. So you're going to have to use your authority with the storm. In the preparation, there are warning signs. In Matthew 16, Jesus tells you in regards to the end days that you must pay attention to the signs. And he warns about the wind. He tells you that when you see a certain wind, you know a certain thing. He said, how come that's not working for you in the spiritual realm? You do it in the natural, you see a certain wind, all you storm watchers. <laughs> it hasn't changed. People still watch storms. But for some reason, we don't watch them in the spiritual realm. We watch them in the natural realm, but we don't watch them in the spiritual so this book gives you a whole set of warnings of what must take place in the end of the world. So it's good with storms to have warnings. There's a lot of warning scriptures in the Bible. So the preparation is in the warning. It's not to make you scared, it's to warn you. You know, I was on the way to New Mexico with a dear friend of mine, and I was seeing her home. Uh huh. And I noticed one thing about her hometown. It's all wind. <laughs> I opened the door and the door opened for me. I mean, I've never felt that kind of wind in Texas. We were on the border before we went over and I had never felt that strength of wind. That's what we'll face. You know, I was thinking, you know, that wind explains a lot about her personality. If you were raised in wind like that all the time, it would do something to you. I mean, you couldn't turn sideways or it'd blow you over. So we went up to this resurrection cave showing about Jesus. I mean, it was real unique. And never had I felt the sheer force of the wind. I didn't want to leave the cave. And that's how you may feel during Revelation is you do not want to leave the cave <laughs> of, of anything that's powerful in your life, of anything you know. It's just kind of like you feel like the whole force will blow you over. You know, the girl we got saved out of the dark side, uh, she said every time she left this building, she said it was like she went into chaos and wind, and she said it was like it blew her hair back. And she couldn't stand up to the amount of chaos wind that was out there. And that's what you have during a storm, is that you have that constant, perpetual wind. And so I'm asking you, where are you going to find strength and safety and the ability to have calmness in the midst of a storm that's like that? So, we must talk about what you look like in a storm. Are you going to be very much doing what you should be doing during a storm, or are you going to be one of the crazy ones? Are you going to be everybody that's screaming? You know, it's the roller coaster. You hear every voice of just screaming. Well, we wonder if all Christians are going to be. It's just we're screaming our heads off, and we're the ones warned. I mean, we may be screaming louder than the world. So I was thinking about my mom's lesson. She did one on how to get through a storm. And last night I was sharing it with one of you. And the concept of getting through a storm, it kind of conveys the meaning of surviving. 
And they walk me back from that idea because of the fact that surviving is not the message that we have for getting through a storm. So let's title this concept, how to have a storm work for you. If it's not going to be just how to get through it, how to survive it, how to just make it through something in your life, just making it, which is how most people are just, they're celebrating if they even think they can make it through, but how to actually have the storm work for you with the ability that you make it through the emotional side of a storm. Well, this collection of scriptures and what I put together here came from a time when I had a storm in my life. And so I needed a little bit of building up on storms. Have you ever noticed that sometimes we're getting a few test runs? We're getting a few times to test what we know about storms. So I want us to look over what storms look like. Now, this morning's is very practical. It's the practical application of when you go through high winds, when you go through something really tough. And so this is the collection. And this concept has been preached a lot. But not one time have I seen it preached this way. I mean, you could endlessly search through all the sermons written on this, but you just don't see what we're going to talk about today that makes a storm work for you. You don't see this anywhere in anything that people do commentaries on scriptures. You don't hear this in any sermons. People are scared. They gingerly approach the idea of what Jesus does during a storm, but they never approach the idea of what you should do during a storm. So number one, first thing that happens is storms come. There is no one's life, no one that lives a life that doesn't have a storm coming. It's just as many people as I've known or just have walked through different things in their life, you periodically have storms. And so you're going to have to look at what do you do when you go through a storm. So are you learning anything from your storm? Think of the last time in your life you'd say, oh, that was a big storm. How did you do? How did you do on overcoming in your storm? And so the days we're living in, we're warned they're going to be approaching storms. So, with the storms, I want you to write a little Dear Diary. How have you done during the storm? One guy wrote this, Since the moment I willingly chose to give my life to Jesus Christ and become a Christian, I have had a powerful life full of authority. You don't hear that much. Since the day I willingly gave my life to Jesus Christ and became a believer, I had a life full of authority. Over the years of truly desiring to seek more of Jesus, I've experienced a deep desire to grow. But I have run into an occasional storm. Notice what he says caused the storms. Tragic events that happened to other people where a thousand people fell at my right hand caused the storm. So a lot of it is what you see happening to other people. The effects of a bad event and having to do damage control for people. The death of strong ones have at times cut to the very core of my being. You lose someone that has a lot of strength in your life, it's chaotic, it's a storm. The whirlwinds of catastrophic events in the earth have set me spinning and made me dizzy as if out of control. So often it was extremely difficult to find emotional and spiritual equilibrium. Okay, I'm gonna stop there with what his diary said. He is telling you one thing, he has the authority but what happens to you in a storm is it is very emotional. <laughs> that is what you're not counting for. That is the part that you don't see. That is the part you don't feel when you read the biblical story. 
You don't feel how dark it was. You don't feel how scared you are. You don't feel how hopeless you are. You don't feel how you think this is something you have never faced before. You don't feel that it's ever going to stop. Your storm will be emotional. Can you prepare for an emotional storm? It's the emotional side of a storm that knocks you off. And this guy was saying, I am full of authority, but this is what happens to me. Notice this. It's easy to believe the water will hold your boat as long as the storms beat on someone else's boat. <laughs> you believe that the water can make a boat float unless it is your boat that has the storms beating against the boat. <laughs> and so emotionally, you have to go through it. This week has been exactly this diary with people that people call us that know their authority but are going through an, an emotional storm and it's like they don't even remember what you do with authority we have one dear friend and the same thing happened to her she didn't know that just normal things in life can turn into storms and sometimes if you just expect there to be a storm and then work backwards and if it goes through smoothly you're like thank the lord so if you expect there to be a storm, you will actually do some preventative work around it. If you expect there to be a storm, you will get up and lay down how it's going to turn out spiritually. You start putting the word into it immediately. Ahead of time, you think about these storms. Ahead of time, you're praying how you'll go through the storm. So this dear friend had an emotional storm, and she got so emotional. In her family, they were having a baby. It was her grandbaby. And so the first birth that they had, it worked out very well. But she did not think about the birth being contended for. And so there's a difference between praying scriptures around the birth. It seems to be just praying, I don't know how to say this, just praying for them to have a good birth. Just praying, Lord, let them have a good birth. A lot of times we're just praying what we want to be. But we're really not praying scriptures on it. We're really not taking our authority and forbidding what we don't want to happen. So when the birth got contended for, and it wasn't a normal birth, it just really knocked the whole family off. It's a tragic situation. The first birth, wonderful. Cute kid. So a lot of times that conditions you for not thinking about every single time you need to use your authority for what's coming next. So the second birth, the baby comes out, but it had an umbilical cord wrapped around it, and the baby was dead. Now, that's the time you're in a contending zone that I don't even have words to explain to you. There are options still to do. Thank the Lord that nothing's final with the Lord. But being prepared to do those options, most people don't even consider that. Like they don't even consider what that would look like to take that next step. You know, I, I told you that Alicia brought me the little chick that had drowned. And a drowned chick looks terrible. It doesn't look like it's going to make it. It's hopeless. It has given up. It's dead. And you have to convince that chick you will live. And so that's when I started praying over the chick and commanding death to leave the chick. And death is a spirit, and you have to get it off of what you want to live, what is meant to live. And so what happened is, because of this tragic thing with the umbilical cord, when they had the third birth, what went terrible was 
again, it was emotional. The girl goes into the hospital and she's bleeding. And the doctor said, if you had not been put in the hospital, we could not have saved this third baby. We couldn't have saved it. It was just the fact that you spent the night in the hospital. But what happened is they immediately started having to contend both for the baby and for the mama. They both came under attack. And in dealing with it, you didn't see her use any of her authority because it was all emotional. It became just a emotional thing of, why is this storm happening to me? I don't like how it feels. I've already been through this once. I can't live through this if this happens to me again. It was like it was happening to her all over again. You must prepare for these things coming toward us, these things coming towards you, the emotional. So she did the right thing. She called in help. And that's when we begin the forbidding. We forbid the enemy from stealing this life. We forbid the enemy from stealing this baby. We forbid repeated lashings for something to strike twice. In life, there's a verse that tells you, there's a scripture that tells you that you don't have to suffer repeated lashings. Like, you don't have to have a place on your body that has a bruise and somebody hits you again in the same place you're bruised. You can stand on these verses. And so around things, you need to get a set of verses of, I'm not going to have repeated lashings. We're not going to go through this over and over again. You've got to take the emotional side out of it. Because what's happening is the enemy sets us up to have horrible things happen to where we emotionally don't make it through our storms. We emotionally don't prepare. We emotionally don't take the warning. Let me tell you, your storm is number one, coming, and number two, it will be emotional. It attacks you emotionally. And so the best thing you can handle about being attacked emotionally is already have your scriptures, already have your promises, already have declared and decreed what's gonna happen, already know in your spirit how this is gonna go down. So you're already thankful that God had her in the right place at the right time, where you're already contending in the spiritual realm. And then when you use your authority, you've got the storm under your feet. So when you use your authority, it goes down. It goes down correctly. I'm happy to say the baby and the mom are well, and they're at home. But the storm did its damage. It's kind of like, I never want to go through that again. I never want to, to go through it because emotionally the storm happened to them. They didn't have it where emotionally they had it under their feet. We deal with people and they discern the dark side. They discern that there's all types of spiritual enemies out there. But emotionally it rattles them. Rather than realizing your discernment is so that you can do something about it. If you run up an encounter against somebody extremely evil, somebody that is cursing, you must be able to emotionally get this under your feet. The emotions of fear and lack of peace, or if someone uh, that constantly rattles your chain, think of that person who can just emotionally mess you up. And you must stabilize yourself so that that person doesn't have that ability to knock you off, to take you off your belief in the Lord. So remember what I said. It is easy to believe that God's word will cause you to float above the storm unless the waves are beating against your boat. And then you wonder, am I going to float? 
is this going to work? <laughs> Will this boat make it through the storm? And that's where we begin with the ability that you make it through the emotional side of a storm. That's the part that the disciples fell into, and every single one of them screamed like girls <laughs> from the drama. I always get tickled at my dad's devotional, and this was so real to him. And I'm going to explain to you what he pulls out of this, literally what he sees in this. So one day, Jesus had finished a time of teaching, and he directed the disciples to get in the boat and cross the lake a distance of about 10 miles to go across and to head to Capernaum and Bethsaida. And he told them, I'll catch up with you later. And as they were about halfway across the lake, sometime in the late night, around the hours of 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Now that's when the enemy likes to perform. And so the disciples saw Jesus walking towards him on the water and they were so happy. <laughs> they were terrified. Like they see him and he didn't get in the boat with them and he's not making use of a boat. <laughs> I mean, they look at him and he's standing. I mean, he's walking on the water. And so anyway, he's walking towards them and they start screaming, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. We're seeing a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And Jesus says to them, take courage. Don't be afraid. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. So Peter was overjoyed. I mean, if you can imagine, here this ghost is walking on the water in your mind. And suddenly it speaks to you and it says, this is Jesus. And his voice, and he sees that Jesus would do anything to be with him. Like Peter realizes Jesus is actually walking towards them. He's going to join them. I mean, they worked all night to row to the halfway point, it looks like. And suddenly Jesus has been catching up, and he's going to be with them. And so Peter does something unusual, and it's forever recorded in biblical history. Of He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Tell me to walk on the water. Tell me to come to you on the water. Wow, what a thought. You know... At this moment, I've always felt like there was a split second of theology could have gone one way or the other for us forever. Because if Jesus had really gotten angry with Peter and said, how dare you blaspheme me like this? I'm Jesus. I'm God's son. Why as a man would you think you could do what I do? Like that's heresy. I mean, it would have changed scripture forever. This is the pivotal point. This is the turning point of all Scripture because of the fact that Jesus had every right to say to him, pay attention to who you are. There's a separation between you and me. I'm God. Peter, be mindful of who you are. You're arrogant. You're pompous. You're presumptuous. Why on earth would you think that? This is heresy. And for some reason, we're still preaching that. But it was odd. Jesus took one look at him, and he said one word that forever changed my theology. He said, come. It doesn't seem like Jesus is afraid of you doing what he does. In fact, I see his anger at the times when we don't do what he did. He didn't take authority and make it be only his. 
at this moment, all of theology forever changed for you because the word that Jesus issued, then in a split second, in an impulsive moment, in something that brought you great pleasure to go from screaming it's a ghost to realizing it's Jesus, and in a split second decision, you go, oh, okay, then I'll jump out on the water too. I mean, that shows how quick Peter could flip. I mean, but the sad thing is the disciples didn't flip. The rest of them were still traumatized. They were still sitting in the boat, but Peter immediately switches gears and says, oh, if this is you coming to me, I shall come to you. Will you let me? And Jesus says, come. You know, Peter didn't seem to work with limits. He didn't seem to look at life as only what he was limited by, that there was space of water between him and the Lord. He gazed at Jesus, and when he gazed at him, nothing else mattered And in gazing at him, he was able to do the impossible. He broke the natural law of gravity, and he jumped out of the boat, and he floated. He stayed on top. He did not sink beneath the waters. It's shocking to think, here's the boat floating, and he suddenly came up with the idea that if I jump on the waters, they'll hold me up. He broke the natural law of gravity. He got out of the boat, he walked on the water, and he went towards Jesus. Wow. Can you imagine? Can you imagine literally jumping out of the boat and walking on the water? But it's at this moment in a storm, when you see yourself doing the impossible, that you have to take warning when you're doing something that is impossible to do don't start thinking about what you're doing (laughs) don't start reasoning don't start going over your mind when you're doing the impossible keep your eyes on jesus keep your gaze locked on his because this is what went wrong for him but logic began to take over and peter started thinking about himself And this is the part that my dad would get so pickled. Peter is walking on the water, and he starts thinking about what he's doing. He starts thinking about himself, and his senses kick in, and it says he saw the wind. That struck my dad as so funny. He said it biblically tells us he saw the wind, but he said the wind is the one thing you can't see. But Peter saw the wind. And when you're walking on water, you will see the wind. I mean, no one else gets this uh, possibility because no one else is walking on water. But when you're walking on water, you see things that no one else sees. You see wind. And my dad would laugh and laugh. He would be like, this is hilarious that Peter actually, it says, saw the wind. Now, it could say you saw the waves tossing against your feet. Anyway, he just thought that was funny. I want to read verse 31. He was afraid, and he began to sink at that point because he saw the wind. Okay, you're dealing with vain imaginations, the fear of the unknown. It overwhelms you. The turbulent waves and stormy seas of the lake cause him to lose focus. And Jesus says to him, you of little faith, 
Why did you doubt? It says that Peter was afraid. He began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus, he reached out his hand. But Jesus wasn't done with him. He goes, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? Peter's circumstances had caused him to forget that he had been walking. And this is what Dad would say. What does waves have to do with anything? He said, it is no easier to walk on calm water than it is to walk on choppy water. He says, you know, everybody goes, well, he saw the wind. So you make a case, well, it wasn't the wind, it was the effects of the wind. He saw the waves. But Dad goes, you can no easier walk on calm water than you can on waves. What difference does waves make? If the waves were hitting up against him like the boat and crashing on him, why did the waves make a difference? You're walking on water. If one is easier than the other, then I invite you to go out on a still day. (laughs) I watered skied, and we'd wait for that moment right before evening when it was like glass. But never have I walked on that water. So there's two things that happen to you that mess you up. And it's wind, it's the unknown, it's the vain imaginations, and it's the waves, the known. The fact that they're crashing up against you. But you have to remind yourself, I'm way into the impossible. It doesn't matter if it's choppy. It doesn't matter if the waves are hitting me with the spray of the lake. It doesn't matter what's happening to me. I'm still walking on water. Don't give up because it's choppy. Don't get afraid because you're in choppy water. Is it easier to walk on the water on a calm day than in a storm? I'm telling you, Jesus invited him to come into a dark body of water with waves on it. So, at that point, Jesus took hold of Peter and they climbed into the boat together. And this event so amazed the other disciples that they worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And I imagine Peter was thinking... What just happened? It looks as if in the scripture that when Jesus took hold of Peter and they climbed together into the boat, that Peter regained the ability to stay above the water. I hope it wasn't that Jesus was just holding his head (laughs) up above the water (laughs) and Jesus stepped in the boat and Peter was drug over the edge. You don't know exactly what this part looked like once he started doubting. But fear and doubt and the emotional side causes you to quit having the strength of being able to do the impossible. It is not a good idea to walk a certain amount of time in the impossible and then give up on it. I've had that experience (laughs) where you go quite a ways with your eyes on the Lord doing the impossible and then one day you go, there are too many winds, wind and waves, there's too much of it. So the object lesson that I would give you is you will see the wind. You will see the invisible. You will see what no one else sees and it will feel like the coldest, scariest spirit that is gonna try to overtake you. And then you have the proof of the water licking you, hitting you. The waves won't drown you, but sinking to the bottom will. So I would say to you that crying out plays a big role in storms. You know, that crying out to the Lord is important. You know, Brother Jacob told me, he said, I want you to always remember Jesus is in the boat with you. 
He told me, this is true about your life. He said, no matter what you go through, I want you to always know Jesus will be in that boat with you. And he says, you can go pray to him. I said, I never thought about that. I can go ask him, what do I do? Peter cried out, crying out, crying out, crying out. How about if Peter hadn't cried out? He might have gone clear to the bottom. <laughs> a cheap prayer. What do you do? What do you do in a crisis? Waking him up. <laughs> Sometimes it gets so bad. He expects us to handle it when he's asleep. You know, he's saying, by the way, I'm leaving soon. What will you do then? Your personal responsibility during a storm. So, you're doing the impossible. You've asked to do it. I think when you signed on, you asked the Lord for miracles, for the impossible, for living a life like this. And then some things come against you that you really can't see that you're seeing. <laughs> Ghost. <laughs> Waves. Wind. Ghost and wind. And so, Jesus puts the responsibility back on Peter. He does not encourage Peter. He does not tell him, good job. He does not count how many steps he actually took and said, next time you'll take more. We preach it that way. The reason we preach it that way is we've never taken one step. So we preach encouragement. This is better than us. All it did was get Peter a long ways from a boat. Stay in the boat if you can't walk on water. <laughs> so anyway, personal responsibility. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Does Jesus really mean this? That walking on water is little faith? That if we've done it this far, that's little faith to start doubting? Let me tell you what happens to people. Sometimes that when they get around the word, and we talk about the faith and the impossible, they get to where they can do it. Like we can go on a trip and we see the impossible. <coughs> you start doing things you never thought you could do with the authority. And you become very assured of the scripture. And you have a lot of people around you that believe just like you do. And we're in a community that actually believes in the fact that this can be done and must be done. But I want to show you something in Matthew 7 about this concept that I'm talking about. In Matthew 7, it's verse 24. Again, it's the storm is assured. And it makes the point where you build and what you build on as the importance. And Jesus says in verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house. But it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So the storm is assured. Both houses had a storm. Listen to it. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and it beat on that house. See, that's what Peter had to walk through. He had to walk through rains descending, floods coming, winds blowing, and uh, waves beating against it. But it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, but does not do them, will be like a foolish man. So both parties were privy to hearing what Jesus had to say about this. But some will walk out and actually do them. They will handle this emotional side of this storm. They won't freak out when the waves beat against your house, your boat, your feet. They will emotionally remember what Jesus did. But this side, they know it, but they don't do it. They're very knowledgeable of this teaching. They understand the authority of the believer. They can quote all our S's. 
in the authority of the believer. If you know what I'm talking about, you know our teaching on authority of the believer. They can know it, but they don't do it. They get into a storm and they don't do it. And so this guy who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, it fell. And then Jesus says this poetic, and great was the fall. And great is the collapse of these people because they heard the word, they know the word, but they didn't do the word. And by know, I mean they know it in an intellectual way, in a logical way. They know it because so-and-so said it, so-and-so teaches it, so-and-so proved it. And I've had some experience with it. I've seen it with my eyes. And it says, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching as one having authority and he didn't teach like their scribes. And so the personal responsibility is taking personal responsibility for the collapse. Taking personal responsibility for sinking it. Taking personal responsibility if you go down. Taking personal responsibility for sinking in the water. People blame other factors. Never do they take personal responsibility. When great is the fault, they don't take responsibility for the fact they didn't do the work. They blame every other aspect. Storms create this type of thinking. That's why people don't even attempt to say, can I get out of the boat? They don't even begin to think in Revelation they should do anything but escape it because of this right here. So number one, emotionally they go, but I don't like the ceiling falling on my head. I don't like the roof coming down. And in your home, I'm going to dare say that there may be, your living room may stay intact, but your bedroom may fall, or your kitchen may fall. Your ceiling may collapse in different areas of your life, or it can be your entire roof. You may be doing none of it. Or there may be a portion where there's some things in your life, you do the word in the areas that are easy to you, but you don't do the word in the areas of your life that are difficult for you. Like you pick and choose where you're going to use your authority. There's a collapse that takes place. There's a complete, your faith just goes collapse down. You say to yourself, I don't like the ceiling falling, or I don't like the winds and the waves, and I don't like sinking. Let me give you another verse. Isaiah 34, 13. Even as the fig tree cast her untimely figs when she is shaking of a mighty wind. Look at this concept. Can I say here, number three, a wind or a storm can knock our out-of-season fruit off. Like it says the wind knocked off that fruit you were bearing out of season. Let me call you, that's the fruit you're bearing during the book of Revelation. (laughs) That's the fruit you're bearing during these times that we're living in. You're out of season fruit. It says the untimely. So, if we don't take personal responsibility, we charge it at the feet of God. We blame God. Sometimes the word doesn't work. Sometimes, God, you don't come through. Where were you in my storm, God? Why did this happen? Or you change your theology. And this is where they look at me. And everything I taught them is suspect. They narrow their eyes. And they're like, yeah, everything she taught me, it goes in this one bucket. I shall move to other teachers that don't push me in these areas. 
is suspect. When the roof falls or when it goes wrong, the worst thing that can happen to you is you stop believing in God. You just stop believing. He becomes kind of like what the agnostics say, impersonal to you. I don't know why he didn't come through for me, but he didn't come through for me. And people have this emotional thing where something hits them and they become in that area someone who doesn't believe in a personal side to God, that he personally cares about you. That's exactly what the disciples threw at Jesus is the care issue, the agnostic issue. You're there, but you don't care. That's the worst thing that can happen. You and God have problems in your relationship. He's not trustworthy. You no longer seem great as thy faithfulness. Or you do this. I'm going to just stop believing in that particular teaching. The word didn't work. I don't believe the Psalm 91 book anymore. You have people write us. I've read this book, but the protection concepts. Well, I think you should hide from a storm next time and not rebuke you. Never get the fear out. Never talk about the role the enemy has. Quit believing what they were taught. Maybe they go, well, it works for you, but it doesn't work for me. I'm always little. I'm always least. I can't get this. It requires too much of me. Let me just say to you, Peter was not a mature believer. (laughs) And I have seen it work very well for novices. It's just when you quit believing and you start fearing. It's when you start emotionally seeing the wind and the waves. And this is what I don't like to have happen. I told Steph, it's, it's when my kids get away from me for four years. Where they've stopped believing in God. Or some of them have said that. And a, a few of them, not many. A couple. Because they were built on sand. And something happened emotionally. And so in that area, they got hit. And something goes wrong in that area. Or they just can't handle the authority of the believer. It's too much. Like, you've got to be kidding. You're not expecting me to do this, are you? What about our responsibility? So at this point, they don't give up theology. They become theologians on their blogs. (laughs) And they write about their experiences. And they're the deep theologians of experience. And they write about the theology of their doubt. They try to scrape together some scriptures to support it. When in reality, Jesus would be looking at them with compassion in his eyes, with an arm reaching out saying, why did you doubt? You had a little faith. Why not build from there? Why doubt? You've got to have the tenacity of a doctor. He may lose a patient. But he learns from it, and he goes to the next one with more strength, knowing that the body was made by the Creator to heal itself. (laughs) God put within every human body, even those that don't believe in Jesus Christ, the ability to heal itself. You cut them, and they don't keep bleeding the rest of their life. It actually tries to make itself better because the Creator created you for life. Life, life, life. And you work with it. I'm inviting you to work with it in your theology. To acknowledge that God is the God of life. We will always develop theology around our failures. It's a failure theology. And let me just tell you, all the theology out there on storms to me is terrible. 
That's terrible theology. He calms the child, but then calm the storm. They come up with stuff like they sing it. So, being surprised by the storms. Surprised. Caught off guard. Not prepared. We can know there were at least four fishermen in that boat. It wasn't all tax collectors and whatever the other ones did. But four fishermen were in the boat, and none of them step up to the plate. None of them know what to do. You know, we might know what we ought to do, but the chaos that surrounds us makes a mess out of our minds. We can't think our way out of them because we're controlled by the forces that elude our ability to reason. You will not be able to mentally work yourself out of these storms. You cannot reason yourself out of them. It is not a mind game. It is not something of, oh, my emotions are out of control, so my mind has to kick in and handle this. I must think with a strength of mind. Reasoning. Water can't be walked on. Reasoning. We will all be killed. This boat continues to fill up. Emotions. This is going to last forever. So if you are controlled, and the word is controlled, by your reasoning and your intellect, it will make a mess of your mind. You can't think your way out of a storm. And then the reality hits in, and it's compounded problems. And the verse says, And there were other boats with him, and there arise a great, and there ariseth, let's do King James, a great storm of wind and the waves, and they beat into the boat, insomuch that the boat was now filling with water. The boat is in the sea, and now the sea is in the boat. And that's what caused them to go get Jesus. Because it was bad enough, what we talked about earlier, that the waves beat against the boat. The waves beat against you, but now the waves are in you. That's what happens when you drown. The water is around you, and then the water gets in you. And they're drowning at this point. It compounded on them. And so you're in the midst of this, and you're like, oh, wow. It was bad enough for this boat to be in the storm like it is. And now the water is coming over the boat. And you feel like God is sleeping through your storm. Let me ask you, what kind of leadership do you need during a storm? Mark 4.35 addresses this. The crowd had gathered to hear him. He was so big he had to board a boat. He waded out from the shore a little bit. He dropped anchor and he spoke from the sea because there wasn't enough space on the land. And now they've cast off and you're asking about your leadership. They're wondering about their captain. They go to question their captain. Jesus has always known what to do. What about your leadership? What kind of leadership do you need during a storm? Let me ask you a personal question. Let me ask you an emotional question. What do you think about a captain that can't stay awake? How do you like him? Emotionally. He's the captain. He's the leader. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He should be doing this. I should think that he should be caring about this. And in your mind goes those thoughts. The reasoning. We're being killed. Emotions. This is crazy. My leadership. 
what would you think if you had a captain of a boat and he was sleeping? He was in the stern and he wasn't just sleeping in a difficult place. He had a pillow under his head. (laughs) And water is coming in the ship. You question his ability to have foreknowledge. You question his ability of what is he doing. You question everything about him. His his prophetic skills have gone to naught. (laughs) Why else would you ask the question you're about to ask him? Who wants a captain that is asleep, that cannot stay awake during your problems? Leadership. Your leadership is asleep, and you tell your leadership, it's your problem. Let me say the next thing that happens. Your mouth gets out of control during a storm, and it isn't good. One man wrote, I'm capable of asking all the wrong questions, just like the disciples. My mouth is out of control. Your mouth would be out of control too if you were in this storm. Look, I've got two problems. I've got an out of control uh, storm and I've got a sleeping captain. Mm. The two don't mix. So you form those words. Who actually said them? Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Probably every last one of them. (laughs) They were around him and they wake him up with it. It would be better to be on land in a storm. What's the ideal that we go out on the lake today? It was definitely not my ideal. I was content right where we were, back on dry land. Why would you tell us to go out on this land? Why don't you care? Asking all the wrong questions. Now, if the disciples found themselves in storms, I'm going to guarantee we will too. It's my point that I made. We will have storms. Who controls the storms? Is this why we ask, do you care? How did the disciples end up in a storm? Did God not care? For heaven's sake, how did the disciples end up in a storm? And how did Jesus end up in a storm? You would think that God's son wouldn't go through storms. You know, this sounds like a very good reason for God to protect them. They've had a really great day in ministry. He is doing a good job. Why storm? It's because we have the God is in control. Why would he allow a storm? Why would he cause a storm? Pick your poison. (laughs) So asking the why. And the, the scholars say, we can't answer that question. Why there was a storm on the disciples when they were doing everything right. Why did God allow the storm? Why did God cause the storm? Why did God cause the storm on Jesus? Sounds like they were doing everything to be protected. They're doing what they're supposed to. They're following Jesus. And then suddenly, let's just, let's take the God out of it because we're into number four, mystery. We don't understand these things. We're just going to say the sprinkles of mystery are upon this. And we say to ourselves, let's at least be poetic on this. The water has turned against us. (laughs) I'm not going to assign a source to the water. (laughs) Be it Diablo below or divine above. I'm not going to say, but the water has turned against me in life. It was so smooth and it invited me and seduced me and tempted me to go out on the calmness of the water. But the water has turned against me. Sometimes something just wants to kill me. All the time from the (laughs) side. Something tries to kill us. And the text of the passage does not get into the theology of why the water has turned against them. The water was behaving, and now suddenly the water is not behaving. The water wants with them, on them, in them, over them. 
Sometimes the storm gets into our life. It doesn't make sense. God wouldn't send the storm when His Son was in the boat. And yet everyone has written that God sends the storms. Believe me, God wasn't trying to kill His Son. This wasn't the plan of the sacrifice was going to go down that He would sink in a boat. This would happen at a later date by the hand of man as prophesied through the Scripture when Jesus laid His life down. So we can be assured that God wasn't in the business of sending a storm to try to kill his son. And then you've got a second issue here. That mother so deftly makes this. That God wouldn't send a storm that Jesus rebuked. That would make them working against each other. God sends it, Jesus rebukes it. Let me tell you about your storm. God didn't send it. Remember, there's only two times you're attacked. (laughs) So, you can be assured... That this water that is trying to kill you was not sent by God. The important part of the story is, did you notice that Jesus rebuked the disciples for their lack of faith about as quick as he rebuked the sea? When they woke him up the way they did, his rebukes were going, and he was not happy with them. He rebukes them. Why do you not care that we're perishing? Why do I want a captain that sleeps? Comfortably. (laughs) When my life is (laughs) such a mess, you hear the impatience in Jesus' voice when he rebukes them. He is growing impatient with these disciples. He's sleeping and they're anxious and they're afraid. He's sleeping and they're confused and they're worried. And they're worried that he isn't worried. (laughs) And they want him to be as worried as they are worried. At least get up and worry with us. (laughs) you need to show us some care right now remember one of you said the way I showed that I cared for you is worrying about you Jesus get up and worry about us so Jesus rebukes all that chaos leadership what do you want out of leadership during this time they're emotional and they're mental cases (laughs) their mind is circling it's reeling the leadership The pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects the storm to change. And notice what the best advice of playing leadership on the internet, the best advice in commentaries, the best advice of all sources rendered together here. The best advice for the leader, they say, is that the leader adjusts the sails. The best advice they give is that the leader adjusts the sails to make best use of the wind to get the most benefit. It's something I didn't see in Scripture, that Jesus rebukes the disciples, climbs the mast, and fixes the sails, and uses the sails to sail them to victory. The leader does application things and not philosophy. My friend, we have lost the supernatural He has gone to heaven, and we are adjusting sails as leaders, and we call ourselves good leadership. Good leadership adjusts sails during a storm, and that's what Christians look like in believers. They try to bring the most and the best out of the horrible crisis. Never waste a crisis. Adjust the sails. Don't make philosophy about it. Just fix their problems. Surely you can think of something smart to do with the wind. But let me tell you, 
And this is our point. You must learn to play offense with the storm. In the natural, playing offense is adjusting the cells. And that's what you do apart from the supernatural. That's what you do in the natural. That's what we do every day at work. Can we take the storm of revelation and play offense? Nobody talks about this opportunity. No one discusses this. Jesus' disciples cried out to him. And as he sailed, he fell asleep, and there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water, and they were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him and said, Master, Master, we perish. Do you not care that we perish, 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 perish? We're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. Then he arose, and he rebuked the wind and the raging. Remember I told you, the water is angry. It's angry water. The water got mad, and he wanted to kill me. The scripture backs that up. The raging water. And the wave ceased, and there was a calm. And Jesus has gone on offense with the storms of life. Offense. Playing offense. Sleeping. <laughs> Peacefully. In an instance, he speaks to the wind and rebukes the sea in the same command he used with the demon in Mark. And he says, peace be still. The wind stops and the sea returns to its natural state and the chaotic waters are now still. The offense. The ultimate offense. The offense here is a defensive offense. He stops what the devil's doing. But then he goes on the ultimate offense offense. <laughs> the defense offense and now the offense offense. That Jesus actually takes the storm and walks on it. He actually takes the storm. And when evening was come, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he alone was on the land. And see them in distress rowing, for the wind was contrary with them. There it is, contrary wind. I'm telling you, there's some angry wind and some raging waves. About the fourth watch of the night, he comes to them walking on the sea. He would have passed on by, but when they saw him on the seas, they supposed it was an apparition, and they cried out. Offense, offense. I remember Kay told me, you know, when you grab me in the storm and walk me to the bridge, when different people tell us that are missionaries in other parts of the country, storms were raging before I was saved, and I walked to that bridge and I found faith. Then we turned and we walked upon the storm. And I'm going to tell you, offense is when you can walk on a storm. Offense, offense. That Jesus actually did what we were talking about with Peter. He took his strolls during storms. I think he couldn't find a place to pray that people weren't getting to him. So he had one place he could walk on water and storms and they couldn't come and it was no different to Jesus peaceful seas or choppy seas wind or waves it was all the same Jesus walked on the storm so our time
much like the dream, much like how Jesus is looking at it, is we must walk on top of this storm. This is not a matter of getting through the storm, making it through. This is a matter of walking on it. I want you to think what it would look like if you walked on top of it. Like the storm gets so under your feet. It so much doesn't affect you. Oh yeah, it bounces up and it splashes and it's angry and it's raging and it does all that, but you're able to walk on it to get where you're going. It doesn't stop where you're going. It doesn't stop your purposes or what you're called to do. The ultimate offense is to be able to walk across it on top of storms. So, in ending, there is no commentaries that I'm finding that even talks about the ability to stop it, let alone that you should take an offensive stance towards storms, because Jesus gets really mad at Peter, and he tells him, well, it's a little faith, but the ultimate offense is that others follow your example, and they go, oh, they're able to be walked over. If you have the living Son of Man inside of you, you can walk on them. He did it before, he'll do it again with you. So, that is our first step of the application of storms. It's not escaping them. It's not just trying to make it through. It is good to know they're not going to last forever. But you might could... <clears throat> stop them sooner than what they would have stopped. You might could say, oh, I'm going to outlive the storm. I'm going to outlast the storm. Good thing is storms don't last forever. Jesus, he made them smaller and quicker and ending sooner. And then he took them and he just slept through them, walked over them, and he played ultimate offense.